you know, people talk about buying followers stuff I'm like you, you've missed the point like community is about real interaction and, and you've got to build quality connection I prefer a group of a thousand really connected active people behind a vision than a hundred thousand which could just be names and numbers that won't really do anything for you hi I'm Holly Ransom and welcome to Coffee Pods a podcast devoted to fueling your difference here at Coffee Pods we have a simple hypothesis that in the mere amount of time it takes to share a cup of coffee with someone, we can tap into a lifetime of experience. And that's exactly what we aim to do here at Coffee Pods, to give access to some incredible individuals who've marched to the beat of their own drum and who are willing to share their advice, their insights, in order to help give each and every one of us the toolkit and the inspiration to fuel the difference that we're trying to make in our own lives, communities and organisations. Today's guest is the incredible Daniel Flynn, one of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs under the age of 30. He's the founder and managing director of Social Enterprise Thank You, which over the course of its nine short years in existence has given more than 5.5 million to help end global poverty. What started as a bottled water company, and it's an amazing story that Dan will share with us how it began, now has 50 products that are stocked by major retailers in Australia with 100% of profits going to funding water, sanitation, food and child and maternal health projects around the world. Daniel's a best-selling author. He's been the recipient of the EY Entrepreneur of the Year Award. He is a truly inspiring individual, and I feel really fortunate to be able to call him a friend. As you'll hear over the course of our coffee pod today, Daniel's really open and honest about the journey that they've been on, sticking to purpose, navigating challenges, getting people on board with your vision. It's a really raw and insightful account, and I hope you enjoy. Here's Daniel. Thanks so much for making the time. I so appreciate it. I know you're insanely busy with everything that's going uh, on. You know what? Between me and Richard Branson, we both find time to fit you in. That's all I'll <laughs> say. That's all I'll say. Um, and are you well? I am well. I am. It's been a pretty crazy season for us, to be honest. It's been... Um, yeah. And do you describe this season as sort of as of chapter one launching? Is that sort of the start of chapter two that you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, chapter two has been a, a, a tough start. I tell you what, rough as like hard and um, you know, I mean, to be honest, no dissimilar to chapter one. Some pretty yeah. big highs, but some pretty big lows as well. Uh, and it's it's been um been challenging, but you know, really good at the same time. Like we're uh, learning more than ever and. I often remind myself some days I'm like, gee, this is good. Now I've got some good content for chapter two. (laughs) I love that line. One of my best friends used to always say that. She's like, oh, this is going to make a great story in chapter eight. And I thought, what a great way to frame difficulty, you know? This is going to make the story interesting. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway. We'll jump straight into it because I know you're very short on time and I'm very grateful for you to making the time to have a conversation. Um, So really the whole purpose of what I'm trying to do with this coffee pot is um, particularly for our younger generation, a lot of the people I've met, and I'm not sure if it's the same over your travels, particularly with the stuff you do in schools and unis, but seem to either put a, a barrier between themselves from a cost standpoint or a network standpoint of being able to connect with learning. So they're sitting there with ideas on the back burner that they don't know how to bring to life, needing a bit of motivation and needing a little guidance as to the how. How do you do it? What does it look like? And what I want to try and do is crack open that learning and spread it as far and wide as we can in the hope that as many people can go and catalyze the idea that they've got as possible. So that's really, I guess, the, the premise of it all. Yeah, cool. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dan Flynn, thank you so much for joining us on Coffee Pods. I'm amazed. I was looking at the website today and, and the most recent up-to-date data that you're publishing is of February this year, $5.5 million given to people in need. 
545,000 plus people you've provided with access to water and sanitation, 130,000 plus with food and, and now as well some amazing numbers with what you're doing in maternal health. Can you believe the journey that's unfolded? Can you believe the conversations that you're having and where the organisation's at? Yeah, Holly, you know, it's a fascinating question and I'm often asked it. And the truth is, like, in one hand, I'm pinching myself because I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And, you know, when you, I mean, the cool thing is that you didn't just read out dollars. You, you were talking about lives change. And yeah. that for me is, and it, it will always be the most awe-inspiring part of what I get to do. But there's another part of me that is, Underwhelm would almost sound ungrateful, but it's this reality of when you have a vision and an idea, naturally for many of us, we scale it really quickly in our mind. We're like, oh, and this is where we'll be. And, you know, like if you'd asked me nine years ago when we started, where would thank you be? I would be telling you, well, you'd find our products in nearly every country in the world. Okay. And today you'll only find them in Australia and in February you'll find them in, in New Zealand. And I'm really excited about that launch. So there's kind of this like one part of me that's like, oh, this is amazing. And another part that's like, oh, I thought we'd be further along. Um, that wasn't but, one of the things I wanted to ask you. When when this started, and if I'm right, this was sort of a, a university project that then blew up and went went crazy places between yourself, Jared, and Justine. Was, so it was the vision. It was this big and bold from the get-go. This was always the, the plan and the vision you had. Well, well, kind of. I mean, we started with two numbers, which were very big and very global. So mm-hmm. the first one was, 900 million people wow. back in, in 2008 don't have access to clean water. So we were looking at 900 million people don't have access to clean water, yet in 2008 we were spending 50 billion globally on bottled water. Mm-hmm. And not only did we think and still do think that bottled water is the dumbest product on the planet, mm-hmm. but we're also like, yeah, that, those two numbers shouldn't exist in the same world. And what if we could launch a brand of water that will help end you know, the world water crisis but even at its inception, we're talking about global water crisis, global bottle water, you know, water market. And our beginning was in humble Melbourne, Australia. But yeah, I suppose from early days, we were kind of young and naive enough to think, uh, yeah, this could be big and global. And I suppose we grew up around the time Facebook started, you know, expanding into every country. And, mm. you know, you hear stories like that. And you're like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Facebook, Google, and thank you. <laughs> Now, thank you. Thank you. Got a bit of catching up to do, but um, we'll see what happens one day. Well, you're on a an incredible journey, and I, I think that's a really interesting point for me. But the, the comment that you make around how big those numbers are, because I think one of the challenges we're finding in the world right here and now is because the numbers are so big, people feel a little bit paralysed as to how to do anything. So, yeah. what was your first step? How did you move forward, looking at those big numbers, and go, "Well, this is how we start chipping away at this"? Okay. So. so to be honest, it actually began with this moment of pretty much what you summed up there, of feeling almost paralyzed, like, what? These numbers are huge. And I, I for me, it got quite personal. And I, I talk often about this moment where I was sitting at my computer crying. And I'm at my computer crying not just because of big statistics. In fact, the statistics didn't really move me. Mm-hmm. They, they overwhelmed me. But I'm crying because I'm thinking, man, what if that was my story? And I just watched videos of kids who'd lost brothers and sisters to waterborne disease. And I'm thinking, that is so wrong. And I'm there thinking, if that was my sister's Jeff and Mel, like, how, how, how would I even process? They died from the water we were drinking. Mm. And it was, it was kind of in that moment that I was like, I just want to do something. And even if it helped one or two others, like, wouldn't that be a cool starting point? And so, you know, I, I mean, I grew up in a 
to me and uh, that kind of always talks about, you know, uh, value the small steps and, 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 you know, starting. And I'd sponsored a child through World Vision, which you could argue at 19, that's not a bad first small step for someone. Yeah, completely. Make, make a difference. So I was kind of a believer in, yep, you can just take that one step. Um, and, and I think it was the human stories that really moved me to do that. Um, it's interesting because, I mean, our whole idea at Thank You is banked on, yep, as individuals we can be overwhelmed, but together we are very powerful. And that's kind of what's made Thank You special. So, so you hatched yeah. this plan at, you know, back in 2008. That wasn't the career trajectory at that point in your life that you were heading on. You had uh-huh. another plan. You had a five-year vision for yeah. where you were heading at what point did this start to be, hold on, actually, maybe this is going to be my thing. Maybe this, maybe I'm going to throw it all in and try and focus and see what we can do here. Yeah, so I was studying construction management or project management. I wanted to be a property develop, developer. My five-year plan was like building buildings and stuff like that. And so this was left field. Like when people talk about it as a university assignment, um, it was, I mean, it kind of, it, it was a project that kicked off while I was at uni, yep. but we're, we're doing it after hours. Like, it wasn't part of my course, but I think it, it fascinated me. Like, I couldn't, like, I talk about, like, you know, sometimes I can't unsee something. I couldn't mm-hmm. unsee this idea. I'm like, man, this, this idea, there should be a consumer brand on the market that offers this and gives all the profit. And as, as I get by year three in uni, year three is when I dropped out at uni of a four-year degree. Mm-hmm. And I dropped out because I basically went, you know what, this thank you thing needs all my attention. And I learned about focus and how, You've got to give something your role. And that was my point where I did that. And, you know, thank you trajectory changed from there and kind of the rest is history. But, um, yeah, I learned a lot about focus. And uh, even though it wasn't the plan I thought I was heading on, I think it's so important that we're always open. It's good to have a five-year plan, but you've got to be open for the opportunities and the ideas that could spark today. Absolutely. And so tell me, the, the building the business side and actually turning this idea into going, okay, what, what sort of scale could we do this on? How does this grow? Have you always been entrepreneurial? Did did that part come innately to you? Yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't want to overstate it. A lot of entrepreneurial people, like, you know, really overstate that they were gifted from birth. I, I, I don't know if, I don't think I was, but I did do a lot of funny, quirky things as a kid. Like, I, in fact, if you met me at school, I actually wasn't the charity kid. I was the kid trying to sell you something. <laughs> and I, so if, like, gobstoppers were in, in fashion, I'd be selling them. If it was, at one point I was selling pet nappies. I was catching them from a lake and I was selling them in lunch boxes, which on reflection is one of the cruelest things you could do and I feel terrible about it. <laughs> but my point is, like, that's what I did. And it wasn't really because I wanted money. I just kind of, I liked it. There's yep. something about it. And, and so that was me younger. Uh, certainly I'm not trained in any way, shape or form. but. Mm-hmm. Like like all of us, I have an ability to learn, and that's actually that's kind of what changed um, everything for me—the uh, ability to learn quickly and uh, absorb information, hear other people's stories, and then apply it to our idea. So, how did you learn to build a bottled water company? Where, how did it actually start in terms of the <laughs> the early days? Thank you, water bottles. Thank you, water. Okay. So, okay. So, so, and and honestly, you know, Holly, this is not a joke, but literally, we learned about how to starting a bottled water company literally by Googling it. Right? So <laughs> that, that. And that's like how to start a water company. And, and it is so, so simple, but it, it's so profound because what Google led us on a journey of was great articles, great case studies. And then from there, we started picking up the phone. I, I'm kind mm. of a big believer in not just reading, but actually like getting out there. 
And getting out there for you may look different. For me, it was calling bottling companies, asking for quotes, just trying to get my head in the game a little bit. And, um, you know, I, I, I still remember the first few meetings we went to. And, and it's kind of a bold thing to book a meeting, but I've just learned, you know, pretty quickly that you'll learn more in a 15-minute meeting face-to-face with someone than hours online because you're kind of in the heat of it and it's awkward and you've got to say something. And that's what we found ourselves doing, meeting with bottling plants, but learning. Mm. learning what they need. So they're like, well, what are the requirements you need to launch with your factory? They drop 10 things. In the next meeting, we'd be like, hey, so um, and we'd start dropping some of the things we learned in the previous meeting. And it's amazing when you learn on the go how fast you can learn and apply. Um, and that's kind of what gave us this sort of mud map on how to start a water company. And it's you know, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So some of the things I remember reading about in chapter one, which is your brilliant book for those who haven't got there, we'll come back to that one later. But when people tell the story of thank you, that you can make comments like, you know, Vizzy created a packaging mould with no upfront costs and a factory agreed yeah. to produce it at no upfront cost. Or at your first pitch meeting, you pitch the biggest distributor in the country and they want 50,000 bottles. And it's easy yeah. to get the illusion that that stuff is easy to do. I mean, talk yeah. about getting people on board with your vision. How did you manage in those really early days when you really didn't have anything to go to them with to sell the vision of what you could do and to get big companies and big people on board? Okay. So th- this is it's such an important question and, and I love it, Holly. I think um, what I've learned, to be honest, I still, I still this applies today to everything we do, but I've learned that people will listen to your idea. What I mean by that is you can book a meeting with someone, you can book a coffee, they'll listen to your idea. But often that's about all they do. They just listen to your idea and then it goes nowhere. But getting people to buy into your vision, actually winning people over, I've learned that while people will listen to your ideas, what they buy into or partner with is momentum. Mm. So our, our job is how do we create momentum? So I'll give you a quick example of those events you just talked about. I meet with a business guy who's a mentor. I told him my idea. And he's like, oh, damn, where are you going to get the money from? You know, and he's kind of hit me with all the problems. I was like, man, that was discouraging. The, the next meeting, about two months later, we booked a meeting with a bottling plant. Mm-hmm. And they, they said to us, um, we, we said to them, if we could find someone to buy the product, would you make it for us? Um, no upfront cost. And, and essentially we'd pay you as we went. And he, he said, yeah, I'll, I'll back you. And for him, we were kind of like one of many potential opportunities. And in that moment of him backing us, all he was really saying was, yeah, sure, if you guys can find a way to sell it, I'll make it for you. And I won't charge you up front. So he's doing a, a big favor, but it's kind of small in the scheme of things. We meet then with a company called Vizzy. We say to Vizzy, hey, we're launching. We have a factory on board. Oh, okay, you have a factory on board. Mm. So now all of a sudden it's not just an idea, we have a factory. Yeah, and we're wondering if you could donate some bottles. Now they donated 30,000 bottles, which actually would have only cost them about $3,000. So it's a pretty small amount of money for a billion-dollar business. But here's where the rubber hits the road. We then meet with the largest distributor of beverages in the country, and we met with them because we wanted to do business with them. They're like, this idea could change the world. We need them. But in that meeting, we didn't share our idea. We shared momentum. Love we that. have a Factory, we have busy. You look busy, yeah. And we've come to you first before we go to competitors to say, Is this opportunity yours? Or if not, next week we'll be presenting to others. He takes the opportunity on the spot because I'll take 50,000 units. But when this lesson really landed for me was a couple of days later, 
I'm meeting with that same business mentor. He goes, how's the little water idea going? And I'm like, pretty, pretty good. Like, we've got a factory and busy and 50,000 units. He's like, Daniel, how are you In doing your work? Yeah. He's like, where's all the money coming from? And I say, we don't have any. He writes a check two days later for $20,000, wow. not as a loan. Yeah, not a loan, not an investment. It was a gift. He said, just go for it. And that's amazing. Uh, that's, it's amazing. But he's the same guy who heard about yeah. the idea two months earlier. The difference wasn't the idea. It was the momentum. And I think I just encourage anyone listening, you've got to find a way to build momentum. And you start small. And as you saw on our journey, you get a bit bigger, bit bigger, bit bigger. By the end of it, everyone's like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> so, that's sensational. Yeah. And I love that reframe about momentum because I think you're right. You know, it, it, pitching a, an idea um, is a totally different ballgame to here's the rubber that I've already made hit the road and do you want to be a part of it and here's the role you could play. It's such a different conversation. Yeah. Exactly right. Now, you've gone to some pretty extreme lengths to get people on board at various stages. I think one of the, the most amazing parts about Thank You is some extraordinarily just genius marketing campaigns that you've led with with Coles and Woolworths and 7-Eleven. Talk about how these ideas hatch and just that preparedness as well as a, a young company to be that bold with some of the biggest retailers in the nation. Okay. So fascinatingly, um, and, you know, <laughs> this is actually the same lesson, but it, it's expanded. So that whole momentum piece for us, we learned that in that little interaction when we first started. What shocked me, though, was for the Coles and Woolworths, right? For five years, they said no to us. Now, a lot of people don't truly understand that side of our story. Five years is a long time. Like, we pitched so many times. We pitched to marketing managers. We tried to get the CEOs through contact. We did, like, we did really good presentations, and we were always met with this resounding, now, nah, you don't have what the big brands have. You're lacking marketing budget. You know, and, and every time we got pushed back, well, it would be frustrating, but we'd, we'd refine, we'd get better. And the next pitch I truly believed was better, and yet that still didn't land. So after mm. five years of kind of being frustrated, I sat back going, hang on a second. We're presenting an idea again. Here's supermarket. Here's our product. If you stock it, you know, hopefully it will sell and we'll all make money and thank you, we'll make a difference in the story. That's an idea. We're not presenting momentum. Now, you could argue that, well, your water's in 7-Eleven, you've been on Sunrise, Channel 7, like, isn't that momentum? Mm-hmm. Well, it is momentum, but we learned the momentum sometimes isn't good enough, particularly when it's over time. You've got to really build it big. And that's what we did. So after five years of the big retailers saying no, we built up this kind of, like, resistance, like, hang on, all right, we're going to go all out then. The momentum we built was a two-week campaign, and it launched with a video saying, uh, the video was called the Coles and Woolworths campaign, and it said, "Dear Coles and Woolies," in the video. Um, it said, "Dear Coles and Woolies, uh, in two weeks' time, we're presenting to both of you. Here's our product. We, we talked about not just our water, but our food products and body care products. And we we asked consumers to upload a post onto the Coles and Woolies Facebook wall saying, "If you stock the Thank You range, I'd buy it." And that call to action was amazing because we gathered a following over five years and it was mm. that following that just turned it on. So people start singing, dancing, rapping, media starts <laughs> covering that. And now now you've got social media getting the momentum to get mainstream media, which then gets momentum to get more people on social media. And it just spirals. And it, kind of my favourite part of the day was, or favourite part of the two weeks, 
was this one day when you have these two helicopter pilots, Peter and Jeff, fly helicopters above the coals and Woolies head office, right? <laughs> but then you've got these huge signs. What, the sign in Melbourne said, Dear Coles, thank you for changing the world. In brackets, if you say yes. That, as that helicopter went round and round and round, what are we doing? We're not just presenting an idea. We've now got momentum. Mm. We've got media coverage. We've got social media. And turns out the, the Coles Director Board meeting was that day. Now, we, we never no planned way. that. We never planned that. That was just a gift that we were given. But now if you're if you're sitting there at Coles, you're like, man, these guys are circling us. That's never happened before. Yeah, and, no one's ever pitched like that, have they? <laughs> no one's ever pitched like that. And when we walked in and presented, we said, you guys might think we're just ambushed, cheeky marketers. For five years, we haven't been able to get in. Today, we are presenting not just an idea. Look at the momentum. 15.5 million media impressions. You know, we have an ability to engage the country give us one chance in your shelf, and they did. And now today, you know, the rest is history. So it, it all comes back to don't just present an idea, present momentum, because everyone wants to be part of that. Brilliant. And tell me, like, you look at moments like that and I go, it's so huge getting someone like 7-Eleven on board. It's massive when Coles and Woolworths finally say yes. Was there a moment for you, sort of a tipping point moment where you went, wow, they're really onto something here. This, this, is, this is really happening. Yeah, I, you know, I think the 7-Eleven moment for us was three years in. That was big. And, and that, that encouraged me deeply. But it was that Coles and Woolworths campaign that really, for me personally, just went, oh, my goodness, we are, we are. <laughs> in fact, you know, it wasn't even them saying yes. The night before the pitch, right? So imagine two weeks of campaigning. I was meant to work on the presentation for the pitch. I was leading it, but like any young kid, I hadn't done it yet. So <laughs> I, I finished it. 3 a.m. the night before, I've got, I'm so tired, I should be going to sleep. I sent the presentation to one of our designers to work on it till 6 a.m. And for the next three hours, I go on Facebook and I watch video after video after video of people who'd sung and danced and rapped. And I'd missed it during the two weeks because I was so flat out with the campaign. But I sat there just crying and crying. Going, I don't even know this person, but they've been, they've backed this. Mm. And it was that for me that I went, I actually think we're under something that could change the world. And then that next day, five hours after the pitch of Coles, we have national ranging. And that's never happened in products in Australia. Like that broke every convention. And I think that that day was like, cool, this is going to change the world. And, you know, we've stuck at it ever since. I love that. And I think your point there, you've, I love your company because I think you've supported community unbelievably well with the work that you do and the whole premise that the business is built on. But you've also cultivated community incredibly well. Like you, you tell those stories about the, the thousands of people that are uploading posts there. And it's incredible to see the way uh, that you built that followership and people got around you and answered that call when you put it out there. Yeah, it, it, it honestly is. It's, it's humbling. And a lot of people ask how we did it. And I, one thing I throw out there is I say, like, definitely vision. I think people buy into the vision. But there's another element here, which is time. Mm. Like like I mentioned, five years. So for five years, yes, the supermarkets are saying no. But for five years, we're at every event in the country. Uh, we're talking. We're in schools. We're building that groundswell. And, like, that's a lot of years invested. Mm. And then finally, when we put a call to action out that was – Simple enough, but powerful enough, the whole community backed it. And so I'm a big believer in building social networks room by room. <laughs> people yeah. talk about buy, you know, people talk about buying followers and stuff. I'm like, you you you've missed the point. Like yeah. 
like community is about real interaction and the fact that our community connects through Instagram or Facebook, that's the mechanism, but the community happens outside and around that. Um, and you've got to build quality connection. I prefer a group of a thousand really connected, active people behind a vision than a hundred thousand, which could just be names and numbers that won't really do anything for you. Completely. That engagement piece is so key. Yeah. So one of the things you write about a lot in, in chapter one is this idea or this question that I, I guess you continually pose through the process. What if it works? Talk to us about the yeah. power of yeah. that question in yeah. the Thank You's um, journey. It's, it's a question that's very personal to me and I think it's become very pivotal to our team and even our community. It's, an, it's, a, it's a question of hope. When we live in a world and a system that is so quick to criticise and say mm. what's impossible, what will never work, you know, why, here's about 10 reasons why it's never been done before. I mean, I love that thought, but, but what if it works? Mm. I mean, that, that story we talked about presenting to a distributor who ends up ordering, ordering 50,000 bottles our factory manager, and no disrespect to him, he, he, he convinced us why we shouldn't even go and pitch. He had all the reasons why you meant to start small, prove your model, get runs on the board. And he had a very convincing argument, but, but the thought I had was, yeah, but what if it, for what? And I sit here today and there's now 755,000 lives impacted. And I'm like, wow, imagine if we didn't ask the question, but what if it worked? <laughs> yeah, no you know kidding. I mean? like, like, imagine that. And, yeah. And so it can it can be taken out of context and, and it could be misused, but but we we see it as very in fact that that question ends every single one of our major campaign launches because the launches all look so impossible and then we throw this question back to you, the viewer. Hey, but you know, but what if this does work? Because mm. the an answer to that question is together we'll go on to, you know, make an impact and help millions of people. So yeah, for me, it's a it's a big question, but it's something that I think about daily. Even when I come down to problems and how we're going to get through this, and we come up with an idea, I ask myself, but what if it works? And that gets me really positive and also thinking creatively. Now, this might be related, but I mean, one of the things that I think you bring up there is that piece around skeptics, bit of bit of negativity, bit of doubt. And I know from conversations we've had over the years, even just the anecdotes you've shared are not even half of some of that that you faced on your journey? I mean, to begin with, you picked bottled water and, and food products, and now you've gone yeah. into the baby industry, probably three of the most competitive product categories that exist. Many yeah. wise, and I use air quotes around the word wise, <laughs> people told you that you were kidding yourself. Uh, you faced the skeptics and, and many haters and doubters on the way. How did you keep the faith? How did you keep going and keep your people going too? Because you've got a really big team at Thank You Now. That hope, yeah. that momentum that you've talked about being so critical, it can't have been easy at all times to, to keep that thriving and energised. Yeah, no, look, it, it, it hasn't. And I think I'll give you an example that's really fresh, actually. The baby category, we got told, you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. People are like, um, and, and, and the way the industry works is that Pampers, which is the largest nappy company in the world, they've failed every launch into Australia. And no one can take down or last in the current or existing market because of one competitor. So there's a lot of good reasons why we shouldn't go into the category. But every time we hear people really, 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 really try and convince us not to go into something, we're like, hmm, we're either crazy or under something mm. or we're both. But, but it's often when people are really pushing back as to why you can't do something. It, it, that to us really pricks our ears up. So we're actually kind of weirdly attracted to that statement. 
here's, here's how it gets hard though, right? So we launch and it was amazing. Like people start buying our nappies. Uh, if you haven't bought them yet, please do. But <laughs> this, this, this thing starts going crazy. We start funding internal health projects um, all around the world in Nepal, in Zimbabwe. And it's a great story. But someone told me this kind of urban legend once. They said, um, if you are a new entrant to a market and you hit about 10% market share, um, what happens for big multinationals is you'll unlock money within their business they never knew they had access to to block you and to defend their position. And nice. I always heard, I heard that, I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. Anyway, <laughs> we, we hit 10% market share. In Congratulations, that's huge. Thank you. It was huge. And I'm not sure what happened, but it was like we turned something on because from that day on, and it was hard getting to that point, but from that day on, it's gone. It's been hard. Lots of promotion, a lot of stuff going down. And right now, to be open, I mean, we're seeing it around seven, six to 7% market share. And it's like, what? Mm. This, is not, this is not going the way we thought it should. And I'm sharing this story because it's fresh, because people told us not to go into it. That kind of attracted us to it. We got the momentum, but now we're in this funny place where we're like, oh man, this is why everyone said Yeah, because it's hard. Oh, this is actually legitimately hard. And and the crazy thing is, um, it some days are so discouraging. Some days you feel so flat. And for me, it's really personal. I mean, I we had so many people buy chapter one to help crowdfund the launch of baby. So there are hundreds, like there's, you know, there's over 100,000 copies of the book sold now, which is crazy, but people have bought into this. I don't want to let them down. I don't want to let our project partners down. And we are probably one to two moves away from either like being out of, out of the nappy market or changing the game in the nappy market. And, and I say That's that. It's a big fork in the road, isn't it? Yeah, it's a huge fork in the road. And there's one or two things we're looking at doing that shouldn't, probably even be talking about it, but like I, I genuinely think, wow, we could change the game and this was going to rip around the world. But at the same time, there's this risk of it not working. And that's where for me it comes back to this question, but, but what if it works? And what, and, and what drives me to, to kind of ask that question isn't just the thrill of the game. Like, yeah, it's interesting when you're in a fight and you're trying to figure stuff out, but for me it's a deeper question of if and when we get this right. I mean, we've helped 77,000 mums and babies get access to life-saving, you know, healthcare. And it's amazing. But but what if or when that becomes 777,000 or 7 million? And there's there's this kind of deeper driver. Even though some days I'm like, oh, I can't do this. There's another part of me that rises up and goes, but you, you must, you will. And when you're surrounded by a group of people who have that same thinking, like, but we must, but we can, but let, like, like, let, let's go again. And, and it's hard because sometimes you do legitimately fail mm-hmm. and stuff work, but sometimes you break through. And when you've had one or two breakthrough moments in the past, like the Coles and Woolies campaign, True. That, that it kind of, it's almost like this self-resume that you have to look back over and go, hang on a second, we've done it before, we, we can do it again. We just have to apply ourselves over and over and over and um, and never give up. So, And how do you find that journey with your team now? Because you, you've grown to be a big business now. Are you pretty open and and do all the team go on this journey? Or do you, like, because I, I think it's an interesting one. A lot of companies now who are starting to take risks and thinking about change and uh, there's a piece of going, how, how's the culture going to go through that sort of period of transition? Yeah. Is that going to be scary or is that going to be powerful? 
How have you managed your your team through that? Yeah, look, I'm still in it. So even as we're talking right now, I'm like, good point, Holly. I need to I need to do this better. Like I'm literally, I'm thinking as I'm thinking as we're talking, but at the same time, if I reflect on the last twelve months, I'm a pretty open book. I yeah. think our leadership, leadership team are, and it's that authenticity that people, I think, sign up to. I mean, I wouldn't want to follow me if I was unauthentic, if I was kind of mm. like smoke and mirrors. Um, and so when we fail or I fail and I, you know, did a, did a ripper, you know, last year, did a real mess up and I led that particular project and it really didn't work and it, it really hurt us. But, you know, I was open and said, hey, here's where we failed, here's what I'm learning and my commitment to you is not to never fail. In fact, for where we're going, I'm probably going to have to keep failing even bigger and bigger and bigger. But I promise you every time I do, I will learn I will get. I will reapply what I've learned, and you know, my commitment is to never make the same mistake twice. Um, and and you know, I think the team really, you know, have come on that journey with me, and I see them doing that as well. But I can't say it's all rosy and no one's ever scared because when you're staring at a budget that you know could disappear mm. tomorrow if you fail, and then you think, man, what are the ramifications of that? Oh my goodness, the staff or this or that or commitments to our project partners, like the pressure's on, but I think authenticity just glues us together when you're open, when you're transparent, and it's more difficult when there's 50 people, but mm. it's, still, it's still so important. Um, yeah. That point you made there around how, and you've made it a couple of times over the course of our chat, that you do feel this personally. You're someone that cares passionately about the business believes in the vision, feels that personal responsibility to everyone who's bought into it too. And yeah. and moments of pressure, I mean, that's an incredible mix of emotions and adrenaline to be carrying. How do you look after yourself as someone who runs a business that's growing with all the competing demands that you've got and the challenges of, of an entrepreneur's journey that you're very much in the thick of? What do you need to do to make sure you're in the space to lead and to get the job done? Yeah, look, this is like getting real practical um, and it kind of gets down to this because the business and the vision is kind of so all-consuming. Um, in fact, I was, last night, like 10 o'clock at night, I'm working. It's a Sunday night and I said to Justine, and we work together. So she's co-founder as well. She wrapped up work for the night. She was heading to bed a bit earlier. I said, oh, I'm going to give this one more hour. But I said to her, I feel like I have about a month's worth of work that I could do tonight. Yeah. Like it's just, it's just never-ending. And that's, that's like a backlog. That's not even like chasing new ideas or dreaming. That's just like trying to get stuff done. And so it's so all-consuming that you have to build in breaks. And, and like for me, Justine and I, a great example, we're married, we're co-founders, we're part of a pretty all-consuming vision. Mm. But one day, one day a week, we have off. I'm going to say off. I mean, no thank you. So we can't talk. We can't even... It's a bit of a game, but we don't even say the word thank you. <laughs> uh, like, like we are, we are off. And that is like a mental reset. Every week, 24 hours, just space. No emails, no conversations. If you bump into us at a party or something and you start talking about work, like we'll, we'll, we'll respond politely. But you might be like, man, they seemed a little cagey. Like why weren't they opening up? Like we really protect that space. And that allows us every single week to have a reset. Nice. Um, and then, you know, that, that's important. I think the other to his mentors and, and 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 speaking and you know I caught up with a mentor two days ago. We sat down at a cafe for two and a half hours and I just opened up. I said, "Here's where I'm at. I'm struggling. I'm finding this really hard, and I'm brave to everyone. I'm open, but I'm still brave." But I was mm. just 
really vulnerable with him and him and Justine over the last two days, actually. And it's kind of funny because you kind of like pouring your heart out as like be a tear or two and you feel, but unless you've got that outlet, yeah, you can't lead. And I, look, maybe there's some other leaders out there who don't ever need to cry and don't ever need to say they haven't got it all together. But, you know, one day I look forward to meeting them because I'm not that guy. <laughs> I'm not you sure know, they exist. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm so human, but it's so important that we have other humans around us. And I use the word human because... Like, I think sometimes in business we can get so caught up, even when in boards and all these different structures and management structures. And, and networking need, as opposed to relationships yeah. and people. We, we need people, we need relationships, and they need to be human. And that mentor of mine is probably, he gave me a whole bunch of advice, but the most amazing thing he said to me is he just looked me in the eye at the end of everything I'd rambled on about. And he had a tear in his eye because he believes in what we do. He's walked the journey himself. He grew a business, sold it off for 400 million. Really great guy. He just looked at me and said, Daniel, you're doing a really good job and I really believe Aww. in you. And, and, and I melted. I, I was bet like, you did. 100%. And the other thing I was wondering about in a practical sense, like uh, the, the week-to-week routine is one thing and I love that intentional timeout. I think it's so good the two of you are great at committing to that because I think we all have grand ideas about, you know, not touching our phones for a day or staying off work or whatever and I think it's awesome you make the commitment. Uh, but the other one was, how do you create the space to keep innovating, to, to be coming up with things like the incredible book where you completely flip, flip the model, to be planning what you're going to do um, and taking the, the this maternal health category to the world of products, but also in community impact. Do you do you take yourself away? Do you go to particular places? Do you write? Yeah. What do you do? Okay, so for me, um, I call it a blue sky day. And um, I heard this term from Apple or 3M. This idea of blue skying, which is like you turn your phone off, you just you kind of go and look at the blue sky. The idea is that you just clear clear everything and think. And it's amazing what thoughts come when you've got space. And so for me, I've kind of latched onto this term blue sky day, but I, I have one built into my diary every fortnight. So every fortnight for one day a week, I am off offline, out, no meetings, and for me. My favorite thing to do is to get in the car and drive out to bush for some reason or water, get near water, climb up a mountain and get my notepad out. And for me, it's actually a really deeply reflective time. It probably helps ground me as a leader. Um, it, for me, it's kind of, it has this, this, this spiritual element to it. Like mm-hmm. I, I really, I really feel like this day is bigger than thank you, even though it ends up kind of being all about thank you. But for me, some of my the greatest ideas I've had have dropped on these days. And they're times for me to reflect, um, for me to write. Um, you know, I, I I go to church as well, so I have a the, the faith background. So I often pray, like, like dear God, help me, prayers mm-hmm. like that. You know, and, and, and the funny thing is, like, someone asked me, oh, okay, but if you had no religious views or faith, would it be worth doing? I'm like, oh, my gosh. Just, like, the act of clearing your day, creating space, like too many of us get caught up working in what we do, but not on what we do. And so for me, yeah. this blue, blue sky day is my opportunity to work on what we do. So I'm thinking about structure, strategy, where are we heading? And two, a day or fortnight might sound extreme to some people, but I mean, the trajectory of the organization where we're going, the responsibilities and the need to be creative, yeah. that's actually, it's extreme. So it's kind of like equal. And there have been some seasons where I've been able to get away one day a week, and they've been my favourite times because I literally just run and I get out there and I'm mm. like, all right, what if we did this? What? And then I'll call someone in the team. And, and and for me, 
um, I would credit a lot of kind of my own personal leadership and ideas to those moments. And I, I couldn't value or invest in the mine enough. Brilliant. You know? That's sensational. Now, we're nearly at the end of our chat, but I did want to ask, you've just written a phenomenal book and 100,000 copies. Congratulations. That is enormous. That was titled Chapter One, and it was sort of the, the summation of all of the journey to that point. And you talk now about the fact you're you're into Chapter Two. If you had to summarise Chapter One for people and give us your best guess as to what's going to characterise Chapter Two, how would you do that? What would be the discerning differences? Okay, so, so Chapter One was this, and the subtitle of Chapter One said, you have the power to change stuff. And it was this this big idea that we have the power to change stuff to make our ideas and dreams a reality. And essentially, it's the story of that. We start out at 19, everyone tells us it's impossible, few retailers stand in our way, but somehow through resilience and creativity, we push through and we change some stuff. Chapter two is interesting. Chapter two, I think I could sum it up, and we've still got a long way to go, but I think it's around, um, it's around sustainability. And it's just around this idea of, um, you know, people talk about great, you know, great companies, good to great. You know, I think everyone has the ambition of a great vision and something that is truly remarkable and something that's built to last. But that doesn't come just by having an idea and kind of making it a reality. It, it comes from building in the systems, the processes, the resilience. Like, I think chapter two is going to be quite an inward reflection of, even for me as a leader, kind of going, wow, yeah, there was a lot of development still left in me so that the organization could grow. Um, there was a lot of development left in the organization so that we could grow. You know, it's kind of not cute, but it's, it's, it's this nice, cute idea to launch a nappy company. And it's a nice idea to get 10% market share. Mm. It's another thing to stay in that market and to year on year get sustainable growth. Yeah. And so thank you. We're going through this really hard maturing process that went from kind of uh, startup, and I never want to lose startup mentality, but to like sustainable, game-changing, consistent, you know, built-to-last vision. And gosh, it's harder than I thought. But um, at the same time, it's exciting. And it it doesn't, you know, we haven't lost our passion. We haven't lost our creativity, but the stakes are higher. They Mm. just are. The the risks are bigger. The falls are potentially further. Um, But, you know, we're, we're committed more than ever. It really is a whole new playing field, isn't it? It is, yeah. Really well, I can't wait to read chapter two whenever whenever it, it, it comes to a close and you get to a place to write um, your next book. Now, for anyone who's interested in anything that you've shared today, wants to connect and get involved in what Thank You's doing, what's the best yeah. way for them to reach out, connect, follow, engage? Sure. Hey, jump on onto our website, thankyou.co. If you want to learn more about our story, grab a copy of chapter one. Now, it is sold at a pay-what-you-want price, mm-hmm. and some people have paid five cents. Um, but the most paid fifty grand, so no pressure. Wow, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. It. Yeah, pay pay what you want. Um, but yeah, yeah, chip in, learn about the past, help fund our future, and look, follow us online, Facebook, Instagram, all the channels. But just we'd love to have you on the on the journey with us and uh, part of our next kind of big campaigns coming up February next year and beyond. Brilliant. Now, two quick questions we like to ask everyone before. Uh, we wrap. What's your call to action? If you could get people fired up and doing anything different to the way they might have been going about their business up until now, what is it you'd be encouraging people to to head out there and, and start doing or thinking or um, asking? So this sounds really almost too simple, but you have to start. 
now, like today, like, like this podcast is going, you're listening and you're like, what does he mean by now? Like what timeline is that? Like, I mean, literally almost before we finish talking, <laughs> get your phone out, do something because I think, and I've done this in the past, I procrastinate. Like, cool, we'll just, yeah, yeah. once I finish this or that job or that, that degree or we have all these like milestones and we have, and essentially we end up, we end up procrastinating and I meet people who have the coolest ideas and I meet them years later and they've still got the coolest idea, but they haven't started yet because mm. they're waiting for something. My, my, my suggestion to you today would be start now, send an email right now or a text right now or, or, or pick up your phone and dial a number. Something that puts you from I've got an idea to I'm now working on my idea. And that is so important. And once you're in that zone, I, my challenge to you is don't leave it. Love always, that. always be working on it. And um, yeah. Awesome. And finally, for those who are listening today, what's your what's your call to action? If you could leave them with one message. My call to action, other than buy thank you product, <laughs> which is a, a cheat bug. But my, my call to action is dare to ask the question, but what if it does work? Because I've learned that it can lead you on to some of the, the most crazy, you know, adventures you'll ever part of. Dan, thank you so much for making the time to join us. I love everything you, Justine, Jared, and all of the team at Thank You Do. And I can't tell you how much you personally inspire me and in everything you're doing, you're a real role model and a source of ongoing inspiration and encouragement, but just as well, it's just phenomenal to think of the way you're changing the world. And I can't wait to watch that impact grow and grow and grow in the years ahead. Holly, thank you so much. And you've been an incredible supporter and crew uh, on the journey with you too. So thank you so much. You're welcome. All righty, buddy. Thank you so much for the time. I know you've got a rush, but I so, no, so appreciate it. And give my hey, love I'm to Justine. So, I'm so sorry about the stupid emails popping up. I was trying to turn them off. That's all right. No dramas. I, I hope that doesn't throw you off. But um, all right. Good. Thank you for that, Holly. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you feel inspired and have some practical ideas for how you can go and fuel the difference you want to see in your life, organization, or community. If that's a yes, please take a moment to send us feedback, shoot me a tweet at Holly Ransom, leave a review for this coffee pod, or head to www.coffeepodswithholly.com and send in your questions and suggestions for future coffee pods. But for now, until our next coffee break, I've been Holly Ransom, Thanks for fueling your difference with me.